Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Uh, what's different from this automation compared to in the past where you have computer programming is that in computer programming, you just uh, limit to what you tell the computer the commands do. But in AI and machine learning, you're effectively creating another artificial person. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today, um, after a very long time, I think, we have Angus Young from Hong Kong Baptist University. You're still at Hong Kong Baptist University. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Um, yes, we haven't had you in a very long time. I think we've, we've had all sorts of conversations in the past about um, the, the rate of compliance in Hong Kong and how it's treated and training. Uh, but today we've moved on a little bit from there. We're going to have a conversation about the tech side of things. I think more specifically on reg tech. So yes. To get started, for anybody who's not 100% um, aware of who you are, can you just give me a brief introduction of who you are and a bit of your experience? Yeah, um, I've been a GRC member for a long, long time. Um, I'm also a CCP, a CRP. Um, I used to teach in Australia, Western Sydney, University of uh, University Technology of Queensland, oh, U, U, Q, QUT, <laughs> as you call it, UTS and other places. And currently I'm teaching at Hong Kong Baptist University where I focus on business law uh, and corporate governance. And uh, also uh, the Hong Kong representative of GRC Institute in Hong Kong, obviously. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. So uh, let's get started on RegTech. Um, the reason, of course, we're having this conversation is because you are actually doing your own research and you are writing an article um, looking at the development of RegTech in the, the Hong Kong space. So I guess the first question is, why do you think this is an area worth investigating? Um, because Hong Kong is moving really uh, at warp speed uh, in the area of FinTech. It is now uh, official with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, which is like the RBA in Australia, that they want all the banks here in Hong Kong to have adopt FinTech and RegTech by 2025. And so this and next year, 20, 2021, 2022, they're putting a whole range of promotion on RegTech. Now, what RegTech, what they've asked to cover is more than KYC, more than in financial crimes. In fact, the HKMA is asking the banks to take on RegTech that includes GRC, in particular risk management. Uh, risk management across the board from their lending portfolio, investment portfolio, all the way to the bank's governance itself and the risk that the banks face. So this is happening at warp speed and they want all the banks to participate and so they open a huge uh, platform on their website to invite different RegTech providers different banks or financial services that's under HKMA license to share the experience of using RegTag and which is the better brand. And they also uh, incidentally uh, organize RegTag competitions. And so on Wednesday, the company that won was Walter Kaluwis and their particular RegTag uh, software was about GRC that includes governance, risk and compliance. So it's a very wide uh, area covering a jurisdiction that uh, one of the reasons why they won is that Walter Kaluas was able to capture international jurisdictions and in law, plus uh, other local attributes of GRC, combining them to offer uh, not only to the board, but the entire banks, 
uh, a GRC's perspective on all uh, you know risk and risk management on the horizon using big data. So obviously, HKMA has specific expectations um, around those timelines that you mentioned. I think you said 2021-2022 for RegTech in, in particular. Um, is there do the banks understand exactly what HKM, HKMA expects? Um, do they can they meet this expectation by the end of the timeline? Um, the HKMA put it as a point to put out uh, certain publications on right tags and send it to the banks. And they're very clear on the communications to the banks and the banks do know about the expectations. Uh, in particular, the reason for that is that HKMA uh, shared the Bank of England's view, which the Bank of England's uh, Deputy uh, Governor said on Wednesday at a RegTech event in Hong Kong, that businesses tend to, uh, financial institutions and banks tend to be greyhounds and regulators tend to be bloodhounds. And the problem with that is that the greyhounds always much faster and the bloodhounds always slower. So HKMA is trying to turn the tables by saying they want to learn to be more like a greyhound and be ahead of the curve, which is why they're asking um, banks to do that. And they have experimented with this in the space of virtual banking. So about eight and a half months ago, they issued eight uh, virtual bank licenses uh, to a range of players, including Tencent, Alibaba, to Standard Chartered Bank, Citibanks. So we're talking about a range of banks, non-banks and tech companies entering into virtual banking. And within eight and a half months, they took on 600,000 customers. So just in Hong Kong alone, so we're not talking about outside Hong Kong, inside Hong Kong is 600,000 customers on board in eight months. And they're handling, I think from memory, a, a, a portfolio of deposit of 30 billion Hong Kong dollars. So it's amazing what you get in eight months. And there's also a rival of other tech areas like uh, insure tech and wealth connection, uh, wealth management tech also comes in in, in robo techs or, or, or financial advisors tech. So these area come in very quickly in Hong Kong uh, in part because it's spurred by uh, the picture that Hong Kong situated in the Greater Bay Area, which is including Hong Kong, Macau, and the nine south, southern cities in southern China uh, to be the new Silicon Valley of sorts. So that's why this spur on tech is accelerated by that. Excellent. Well, what I think is really interesting about this conversation as well, and you mentioned it when we had our discussion before the podcast, uh, was obviously the interesting interplay and relationship between the compliance professional themselves and the technology they'll be using and the impact that that has on the decision making. Um, and I think you talked about the technology becoming almost like an employee within the organization um, in, in terms of the decision making and the impact that it has. Can you talk a little bit about what, what that means and what that is? Yes, certainly. Uh, happy to do so. Most people don't realize uh, what would happen in when the techs uh, catch up. So there's a series done by a lot of consultants and including the World Economic Forums on the future of work. Uh, one of which, which is include, uh, include digitization and the new model. Obviously, uh, COVID-19 has spurred even more or a faster transformation to more automation at work. So automation will be increasing, uh, routine work will be taken over by AIs and machine learnings and freeing up staff to do uh, other things, in particular interpersonal skills, uh, contacting customers. But what happened is that what 
business don't realize when you take up more AIs and machine learnings to replace human beings to do certain areas of jobs, not all, but certain areas, they're effectively becoming part of the company. Uh, if we take a, a parallel in manufacturing, uh, when the car manufacturers move from a very uh, hand-driven labor-intensive Ford factory model in the past to a robotics uh, factory, so now modern um, car factory in Japan, you'll find it's automated, uh, robots are there, while, while there's people working, but there's obviously much less people, and the people are highly skilled to deal with the robots. But in fact, therefore, the robots have become a colleague uh, or a co-worker at work, so people have to work with machines. So therefore, I see machines, therefore, could be like an employee. They're a key actor in the company right now, not just employees. So in the future, even maybe if we talk about ESG, uh, within the company, within the, the S aspects, which are employees, uh, AIs and machine learning might creep up as a sub-category uh, within social because they play an important role in an automatic company or a company that uh, places lots of emphasis on automation. And this seems to be inevitable. And I think that this will come. The question is not if, is when. And I mean, are there any complications here that you foresee in terms of liability? I mean, if you have this effectively employee, <laughs> non-human employee helping oh, yes. decision making. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's different from this automation compared to in the past where you have computer programming is that in computer programming, you just uh, limit to what you tell the computer the commands do. But in AI and machine learning, you're effectively creating another artificial person. Obviously, uh, not as sophisticated as a person in terms of uh, decision-making with ethical uh, dilemmas, with human dimensions. But in fact, you're giving the AI and the machine learning uh, autonomy to make decisions within a certain framework. And they're supposed to learn like a human being, just like a child. So it learns to overcome problems. It learns to solve problems uh, first by mimicking what people do and then slowly by working out even broader because they have access to speed, they have access to data and they could move, you know, a million times faster than a human being in many ways, all right? So therefore, um, this is not like a computer where you command them. It has a certain level of autonomy and with autonomy uh, becomes who's responsible for these AIs and machine learning is certainly not the programmer because the programmer starts out coding by saying that we only start the basics and telling the AI to develop themselves. So there are issues of fiduciary duty. Let me give an example, robo-advice. Now, robo-advice would be uh, part of this AI and fintech where you give cheaper financial advices or general financial advices to members of the public, including younger generations, who's thinking about investing in the future. So you key in the information and you treat the robot advisor like a human being because it can process natural languages and it then replies to you like a person and it makes you feel that you're talking to a person. In fact, you're talking to an uh, artificial intelligence. Now, the problem is that um, what happens if things are go wrong? Now, it's not, AI is not a perfection machine. It doesn't go like, I'm perfect, I have no flaws because what data you feed the AI, the AI interprets the data to give the optimal outcome. And then of course, it mimics human decision-making. So as you and I both know, human decision-makers are not perfect. 
So it might uh, mimic certain flaws, certain limitations. Uh, and therefore, the fiduciary duty of a role advisor, who's the one responsible? Certainly not the coder that starts up there. Is it the company? Is it the board of directors? Is it its immediate supervisor? Because at the end of a certain chain of command, uh, there will be a human factor because what AI does is that it also enhances human decision making by providing humans options. Now, how it comes about with the options, how it comes about with are there limitations to the options, what are the presumptions? Now, these are complicated uh, computations which are difficult for human to unravel, which is why we get the AI do it. So, who's responsible for that? That remains very much an open question and not really resolved. So with FinTech, uh, we don't know what are the hybrids or the outcomes or the consequences of things or chain events that happen. So we have to start working out this. And I think the boards, the compliance officers in particular, have to work out this because uh, the AI will inform the compliance officers these are the risks. And the compliance officer would have to make a decision. So ultimately, if the decision maker is human, so human become responsible. But the problem is, uh, who helps the decision maker in limiting the options out of maybe three or four to pick from? Now, that is a dilemma that we have yet to un unravel. But I'm glad you mentioned the compliance officer just now in your answer, because another thing that we also spoke about before the podcast is that relationship between the compliance officer in RegTech. And I think you were saying before that the, the two need to partner, you need to partner the, the compliance professional and their knowledge base with the, the RegTech technology. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yes, um, there here the RegTech, for, in, for instance, in Hong Kong, uh, the central bank is not asking each bank to come up with their own RegTech. In fact, the uh, HKMA is um, promoting uh, or actually telling companies or banks to uh, purchase service from RegTech uh, providers. Now, it will also create a forum where it shares information between what the providers does and what the bank's experience are, so that the banks would know uh, what to access. And the access of the RegTech is hopefully via cloud technology. So you're subscribing into a platform and you're putting data into a platform or the data is coming out from the platform to inform you about compliance obligations. Now, the problem we then hear is that it is a third party. Okay, so we have a service provider called RegTech Companies. We have compliance officers that work for banks and we have board of directors. So with these uh, factors, all these three factors, so who is responsible for what uh, becomes increasingly difficult when the decisions are complicated. And of course, uh, you might make many decisions within a day and therefore for the RegTech compliance officers, how do you pick up what kind of RegTech would you use? How do you know that this particular provider is giving you the information you need? Do you need several providers to give you different scenarios? If you have, let's assume you have six scenarios, how are you gonna pick the ones that's most appropriate? So these are dilemmas down the road that compliance officers will be facing. And this haven't been quite worked out yet. It's not that the compliance officers have to learn about technology as in doing the coding, doing Python, but have to know how the technology works, where the problems are, and how to spot problems of RegTechs because they are not perfect, and how to use them in particular contexts. So if you have six scenarios or five different companies working for you on RegTech, 
which company do you pick for what services for what particular instances do you share that with other companies so that you have in one scenario or one given situation three companies that if offer you three uh, possible ways or possible consequences so these are things that reg tech compliance professionals would have to start picking up some of the knowledge Right. Excellent. And I commend you for keeping such a straight face while my cat walked on the bookshelf behind me. Um, well, excellent. Uh, so I guess one another interesting thing to do is because obviously when I hear about the HKMA and, and RegTech, obviously being in Australia, the first thing that jumps to my mind, of course, is the ASIC liaison meetings happening between our securities regulator and um, the RegTech Association, RegTech here in Australia. And I don't know how much you know about what's been happening here, but are there some comparisons? Would you say that Hong Kong is further ahead in terms of their times and their relationships? Yeah, I, I guess uh, Hong Kong is much further in the adoption of RegTech. I know Austrac is very keen to do that because obviously uh, RegTech could run through large databases, uh, real-time transactions. So, but there are also other concerns. Um, now, RegTech is great for numerical issues. But how do they pick up conduct? So one aspect they pick up conduct is through voice recognition. So things you say on the phone, your customers, they pick up. So one of the demos I've seen is that a financial services advisor gave the advice to someone to buy a financial product. And this person says, no, so, you know, what, what is the chance of me losing my money? And the advisor says, well, I can't advise you on that, but from my customers so far, so maybe it's been two years or three years, none of my customer has lost money. So this is declaring a fact, none of my customers have lost money, but the implications of that would be misleading. So the rag tag is supposed to pick up it and then send a, a warning straight to the compliance officer, which then would then flip the screen to the financial advisor with you know exclamation mark in red, hey, you're saying something wrong. So this is real time in rag tags happening. But not only that uh, privacy is invaded, but obviously you need to give consent for that. The problem is not consent. The problem is how do you then, to what level you need to monitor? Cameras? Because behavior includes not, not just words, but non-spoken words, you know, uh, body languages and so forth. And today, RegTech would include uh, facial recognition, will include onboarding through uh, Zoom like that or Skype. Sorry. Uh, laws are now available to say that you don't need to meet person, but you can do through Zoom sessions like these. Mm -hmm. So then to do conduct risks, RegTech would have exercised access to all these cameras and all these recordings in real time. So are they recording the workplace? So the workplace being one at the office. What about if you work from home? Is that, you know, during those hours when you turn on the camera, uh, that camera meant that whatever is recorded is work-related. So all these dilemmas uh, I have yet to work out. And of course, uh, in terms of data management, we're still quite, uh, in my opinion, arcane. Why is because we only look at privacy. Now with data or data analytics, why data analytics is so important? Because you can pick up what your customers buy, what they like to see on your phones or computers. This means that you can hold out the price, not to the cheapest price, but the price that your consumer is willing to pay. 
by looking through the data of what they use through their phones or computers, or how many times they access travel sites, for example, to look for cheapest hotel. Yeah. And if they do that very often, you know that you know they want to book for a hotel. So the more they visit, uh, the more you hold your price instead of lowering your price. So yeah. that may be the lowest price, but lowest price defined as lowest price for the cons that particular consumer and not the entire market. So what about the use or manipulation of data uh, for the benefit of the company against the customers? Things like that have not really been worked out yet. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I think that was actually the last question, but do you have any, um, I guess, final words, any comments you want to make about um, RegTech or FinTech or even SoupTech, which I don't think we spoke very much about um, before we close this podcast? Certainly, I think compliance professionals should start learning about these things, not in terms of the basic technology, but how to use the technology, what are limitations of technology, how to look out for problems with the technology, what is the scope of use, and what are the risks to both the customers, to the company, and to compliance professions themselves. And the last part is that how they should make decisions with the aid of technology. So these are things that compliance officers in the next decade would have to learn and pick up pretty quickly. So I hope that the GRCI would lead in this area and helping compliance officers to prepare for the future of work and the future of the digital economy. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Angus. Thank you. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary. <laughs>